0: My name's Matt Noble. Uh, I'm actually, I'm Jeff's pastoral assistant, and uh, usually I'm up here leading music, um, but some some days I get to preach, and this is one of those Sundays. Uh, But before we get into our text, our text this week is actually going to be Acts 8. You heard Laura uh, read that this morning. Uh, I want to know if you've ever asked this question, what are the chances of that? And so we tend to ask it when something that seems impossible, actually happens. And so you might ask, what are the chances of that when you hear about someone getting struck by lightning? According to National Geographic, the probability of this happening in a given year is 1 in 700,000. So it's not very likely. And you might ask, what are the chances of that when you hear about someone finding a four-leaf clover? Amazingly, only... One out of every 10,000 clovers are four-leaf clovers. And so it's a pretty big deal if you found one. I haven't found one before. Maybe you have. You might not ask, what are the chances of that when this thing happens, but you should. People think that shark attacks are really probable. But in reality, the odds of being attacked by a shark are actually 1 in 3.7 million. Pretty crazy. Well, one place that we should ask, what are the chances of that, or When we come to our text this morning, everything that happens in it seems almost too good to be true, but thankfully, because it's God's word, we know that it is true. And so what we have on display here is an incredible scene of God's providence. Through what seems like a bleak situation leading up to this text, God brings Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch, and as we'll see, the Ethiopian eunuch has changed forever, And more than that, we get a glimpse at what God is doing throughout all time in history. He's sovereignly creating for his son a bride composed of people from all nations. And he's doing this through the proclamation of the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 8. We're going to be in verses uh, 26 through 40. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one of those black pew Bibles in front of you. You can take that home. Also, if you're new to reading a Bible, uh, you're going to notice that uh, the big numbers that you'll see are the chapter numbers and the small numbers are the verse numbers. And so if you're flipping to find Acts, you're going to find it sandwiched between John and the book of Romans. So you should find it there. If you're taking notes, and kids, hopefully you have your note sheet, I want you to write this down. This is my sermon in a sentence. In this text, we're going to see that God is building a people from all nations through the proclamation of the gospel. So, one more time. God is building a people from all nations through the proclamation of the gospel. In point one, we're going to see that God leads us to a place. Again, God leads us to a place. We're going to see this in verses 26 and 27. In point two, we're going to see that God leads us to people. We're going to see this in verses 27 through 31. So again, God leads us to people in verses 27 through 31. Then my last point is going to be God leads people to his son. We're going to see that in verses 32 through 40. So again, God leads people to his son. verses 32 and 40. So again, we'll see in verses 26 through 27 that God leads us to a place. Uh, But we need to take a step back for a second. Since we're jumping in in the middle of a narrative, uh, we need to first ask, who is Philip and what has he been up to? You don't have to flip there, but we see in Acts 6-5 that Philip is actually one of the first deacons. You might remember that these early deacons were elected to help meet some of the physical needs in the early church. And Philip was a part of this group. You might also remember that Stephen was a part of this group. And so we saw in the last chapter uh, that Stephen preached a sermon. It's amazing. You should go back and read it this afternoon. But that those who are listening to it responded by killing him. And so this is the start of a great persecution in the early church that was led by Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul. And because of this persecution Many in the early church were scattered. They had to leave their homes. And so we can look at passages like this and wonder why God let this happen to his people. We can ask, why would God let them suffer in this way? But while they were suffering, God had ordained these circumstances so that his people would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this is even what Jesus says in the opening chapter of Acts before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. He said, Our Lord says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, the gospel wasn't just supposed to stay in Jerusalem. It was always the Lord's intent that it would go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the end of the earth. And it was God's plan from eternity past to give his son a bride made up of a people from all nations. And so we see God accomplishing that plan even through the sufferings of his people. And so what has Philip been up to since they were scattered? We'll look up at verse 4 of chapter 8. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Suffering didn't stop Philip from preaching. Being dispersed didn't stop Philip from being faithful to the Lord's command. We see that he went to Samaria and proclaimed Christ. And so this brings us to our text today. Look with me at verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. Notice that he tells Philip to rise and go. This is actually the same word that Jesus uses in the Great Commission when he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And we see here that Philip is now being called by God to go south from Samaria to Gaza. He's being called into the desert. And so while Jerusalem is on the way, he's not telling him to go home. God is calling him to go to Gaza. He's calling him into the desert. God doesn't tell him why. He doesn't tell him who he'll meet there. He just tells him to go. The author of Acts doesn't give us any indication that Philip argued with the angel, just says that he gets up and goes. And so while God hasn't sent us all angels to tell us where to go, he has placed us somewhere. And so believer, have you grown discontent? Are you frustrated with your circumstances? Do you grumble with God about where he's placed you? Maybe being a parent hasn't turned out to be what you were expecting. All of the freedom that you had before kids, has seemingly been stripped away from you. You used to have all this time to meet with other believers and to share the gospel with your friends and family. But now you feel distant from community. You're tempted to think that God isn't using you in any intentional way. Maybe you've ended up at a school that you never wanted to be at. You really wanted to go to that other school, but instead you ended up in Denton. It's the black hole that no one ever leaves. (laughs) Or maybe you're almost done with school. You're ready to get out and move on to the next thing. You're tired of classes and you just want to get into the real world. And you're tempted to think that God will really start to use you once you finish school. And maybe you're in a job that you hate. You've ended up in a career that you never expected to be in. Your work isn't as fulfilling as you'd like it to be. Your boss doesn't seem to care about you. And some of your co-workers are really hard to get along with. And you're tempted to think, if only I had a different job, then I would really be able to serve God. Or maybe you've ended up in a neighborhood that you don't want to live in. The place you live in isn't as big as you'd like. The area of town isn't your preference. And you're tempted to think, If I lived in a different neighborhood, I would really be able to make an impact for the gospel. Or maybe you've been wanting to go overseas to do missions. You're stateside for the time being, but you've begun to grow impatient. The doors that need to open for you to go still remain shut. And you're tempted to think, What's the deal, God? I thought you wanted to use me for your glory. Well, your family, your school, your job, and the neighborhood you're in are no surprise to God. No detail of your life is outside of his control, and he has placed you where he wants you. And so, believer, whatever your circumstances are, God has called you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. This isn't just a command for pastors. This isn't just a command for missionaries. This is a command to you. So King Jesus has called all his church to this task. So where you've been placed doesn't nullify this command. Our sovereign God has sovereignly placed you where he wants you so that people from all tribes and tongues will come to know that he is Lord. And so some of us might be called to go somewhere else to proclaim the gospel. But regardless All of us are called to be faithful where we are now. And so God has placed us where he wants us, and he's calling us to take the gospel to the people in these places. And so this brings us to our second point. God leads us to people. Look with me at verse 27. It says, And there is an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who is in charge of all her treasure." He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. So we see here that the author of Acts Luke shifts his focus from Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. And here are three things that stand out about the Ethiopian eunuch. First, he's Ethiopian. While this might not seem like a big deal at first glance, this detail has a profound impact on this text. So far, the church has been primarily made up of Jewish believers. And in verses 4 through 25, we can see that many Samaritans were added to their numbers, that they were also of Jewish descent. Yet here we see Philip taking the gospel to an Ethiopian, a Gentile. And so God is about to do something big here. Second, we see that he's a eunuch. This could just be a formal title, more likely could also point to the the fact that he was probably emasculated. And he had probably lost the ability to have children. And we do see from this text that he held a high position in the Ethiopian government. He was the treasurer for the, the queen. And so in other words, he's not low on the totem pole. He's not an intern. He has power and influence. He's not grabbing coffee for people. Yet despite his power... He couldn't have a family or children, and he would have no one to carry on his name. And so third, we see that he's a God-fear. And so what I mean by this is that he was a Gentile who worshipped the God of Israel. And so we can see this in verse 27, since Luke tells us that the Ethiopian had come to Jerusalem to worship. This means that he had probably gone to the temple, but he wouldn't have actually been allowed in the inner courts because he was a Gentile and a eunuch. And so we can also see that he was a God-fearer because uh, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. He might have even received this copy of Isaiah in Jerusalem. And so Philip runs into the Ethiopian eunuch on his return from Jerusalem. And this isn't an accident. This isn't random. God called Philip here to meet the Ethiopian eunuch. And so look with me at verses 29 through 31. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Again, I want to ask, What are the chances of this? This is amazing. Look at God's hand in this interaction. First, the Spirit tells Philip to go over and join the chariot. This isn't just some force talking to Philip. This is the third person of the Trinity, God the Spirit. And the unchanging Spirit isn't merely reacting to what's going on. He's not surprised by this. This is all part of God's will. And he's calling and leading Philip to walk according to it. So second, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah. How is he reading? He's reading it out loud. Notice that the text says that Philip can hear him reading the scriptures. This was common at the time. They didn't read in their heads at West Oak like we often do. So Philip hears him reading and rightly responds by asking the Ethiopian eunuch if he understands what he's reading. And looking at the, And look at the eunuch's response he invites Philip into the chariot to guide him through the text. And so we can see God's hand all over this interaction. And again, we should ask, what are the chances of this? While these things seem too good to be true, they have all been sovereignly orchestrated by our God. Likewise, is this how you see the people you've been placed around? Listen, your next-door neighbor isn't there on accident. Your co-workers aren't there accidentally. Your classmates aren't there accidentally. And your unbelieving friends and family haven't been placed in your life by accident. God has led you to where you are for a reason. And he's placed you where you are so that the gospel might be proclaimed. And So brothers and sisters, there are image bearers around you who have been marred by sin. And who have willingly rebelled against their creator. And while they are far off from God, he's empowered you by his spirit to bring them good news. And didn't he do the same for you? You were once a rebel who didn't desire the things of God. You wanted to build your own kingdom instead of his. Yet someone brought you good news. Someone told you that you could be reconciled to the God of the universe if you laid down your weapons and turned to his son. And so, believer, you're the appointed means in which God intends to accomplish His purposes in the world. His sovereignty is not opposed to your responsibility in evangelism. So, wherever you're going, God has called you to speak light to those who are in darkness. But if we're honest, though, this task often seems like a heavy burden. We don't hear the Spirit audibly say, Go there. There isn't always a person with their Bible open reading out loud. and it often seems that our friends and neighbors don't want to be bothered with spiritual things. And it sometimes seems like the gospel doesn't work. But believer, let me encourage you with this: We're not called to be effective. We're called to be faithful. You should write that down. We're not called to be effective. We're called to be faithful. You can't make someone believe, but you can be faithful to lovingly bring them good news. And so God doesn't ask us to do spiritual open heart surgery. We can't give someone a new heart, but he's given us the task of pointing to the one who can. God is the one who can turn a sinner into a saint. God is the one who can remove hearts of stone and give hearts of flesh. God is the one who's making all things new. And we've been called to faithfully proclaim his gospel. So even when it seems like the gospel isn't working, we need to trust that God's spirit is working alongside the word. And the people around us aren't there by accident. They're around you because God wants them there. So what's keeping you from engaging with them? Are you afraid that they'll reject you? Let's be honest, are you distracted by your phone or TV? Are you worried about them being different than you? And so listen to me, I'm, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm preaching to the choir. But my hope this morning is that this text would give us a way bigger, bigger view of evangelism. That we would marvel at what God is doing in time and space and wanna be a part of it. That we would desire to see God save people from all nations and all tribes and tongues for his glory. And so, friends, it's a desire for God's glory that will cause us to put away fear, to put down the iPhone, and be willing to engage with someone who is different than us. And so be faithful and trust that God will be effective. And so this brings us to our third point. God leads people to his Son. And so in verses 32 through 35 we're going to see the proclamation of the gospel. So again, in 32 through 35, we're going to see the proclamation of the gospel. And in verses 36 through 40, we'll see the response to the gospel. So look with me at verses 32 through 35. Philip is now aboard the chariot, and he's about to explain the passage of Isaiah. It says this, now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep... He was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, he opens not his mouth. And in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And so the Ethiopian eunuch is looking for a key. He's looking for the thing that unlocks this text. And God has sovereignly brought someone to him who has the key. Philip shows him that Jesus is the key to understanding the text. Jesus is the one who is like a sheep led to the slaughter. Jesus is the one who didn't open his mouth to defend himself. Jesus is the one who was denied justice and had his life taken away on the cross. Jesus is the key to understanding this text. But much more than that, he's the key to understanding all the scriptures. He's the offspring of Eve that was prophesied to crush the head of the serpent in Genesis 3. He's the offspring of Abraham who was prophesied to be a blessing to all the nations in the earth in Genesis twenty two eighteen. He's the one who would fulfill the law given to Moses. He's the offspring of David, the Lion of Judah, who was prophesied to reign forever and ever in 2 Samuel 7. And he is the suffering servant that Isaiah prophesied would die for the sins of his people in Isaiah 53. And he is the one who was ushered in a new and better covenant that was promised in Jeremiah 31. And he's the one that all scriptures Find their yes and amen in. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the key to understanding all of the Scriptures. And so why are the Scriptures able to make you wise for salvation in the words of 2 Timothy 3.15? Because they point us to faith in Christ Jesus. So believer, don't be afraid to use the Scriptures in your evangelism. God uses His Word to make dead sinners alive in His Son. His word isn't a dead word. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And God's word is alive and it does things. The spirit carries it into dead hearts and makes them alive. But you need to open your mouth like Philip and explain it. You need to point your neighbor to the one who is at the center of the scriptures. Jesus Christ, the son of God. Again, you can't change your neighbor's heart, but King Jesus has given you the task of pointing others to himself. And so you might even consider inviting your coworkers or your classmates or your neighbor to study the Bible with you. I know that this can seem awkward, but you could easily do this on a lunch break. You could do it before or after work or class. It doesn't have to be anything crazy, just read the text together and help them understand what it means. Point them to Christ. You might even consider inviting them to church with you. I I don't think we should underestimate the power of God's word being preached to God's people. God can and does use it to save sinners. And so parents, even, who have children who aren't believers, read the Bible with them and show them how it points to Christ. Christ. Uh, even though Stephanie and I don't have children of our own, we've been encouraged as we've been invited to have dinner with a lot of you that you've let us actually see you reading the Bible with your children and helping them see how it points to Christ. And so I want to encourage all of you that are doing that to keep doing it. Trust that God will use it for his glory. But if you don't know where to start, I would encourage you, talk to, talk to Ryan and Laura Adams, talk to PJ and Maggie Scalf. They've been doing this for a while and can help you know where to start. Well, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I just want to say that we're thankful that you're here. I don't know how you got here. Maybe a friend or a family member invited you or maybe dragged you here. I don't know. Maybe you're curious about what Christians believe and you somehow stumbled into our service. But regardless of how you ended up here, You're not here by chance. God in his infinite wisdom has brought you here today to hear good news. But before you can understand how good this news is, you need to understand that you're a sinner in need of grace. That all of mankind was created by God to know him and enjoy him forever, yet we've all rebelled against him. It's not just you, us. Instead of walking in obedience to God, we've all sought to be our own gods. We've foolishly thought that our ways are higher than his ways, that our law is better than his law. And So we've all sinned against an infinitely holy God, and we're deserving of his infinite wrath. Yet God in his mercy has awoken you every morning. He's provided every breath that you've breathed. And he's made every molecule of food and water that you've ever consumed. He's been abundantly good to you. But there's coming a day where he'll not put up with rebels anymore. There's coming a day where he will return to judge the living and the dead. And so friend, I want to ask you, how do you think you'll hold up on that day? Do you think that your good works will be enough? Unfortunately, the only wage that you and I have earned because of our sin is death. And so if you're going to stand before God who is righteous on the last day, you're going to need someone else's righteousness. Someone who never once sinned, someone who never had a wicked thought, who never did a wicked deed. And this person is Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who took on flesh and dwelt among us. And so even though he never once sinned, he went to the cross and endured the judgment that you and I deserve. That he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And that he was cut off from the land of the living. But death couldn't hold him. And God raised him from the dead to sit at his right hand. And so he's the only mediator between God and man. And so if you turn from your sin and trust in him, you will be saved into his family. You will know him and enjoy him forever. But if you reject him, I I say this in fear and trembling, if you reject him, then he will reject you on the last day. He'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. So quit clinging to your dead works and your own righteousness and trust in Christ today. Friend, we share this with you because we want to see you rejoice in Christ. And so this is what we see the Ethiopian eunuch do in verses 36 through 40. Here we see his response to the gospel. So look with me at verses 36 through 40. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Anybody seen that before? Not me. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And so after the Ethiopian eunuch hears the gospel, him and Philip come to a pool of water. And so remember, they're in the desert. Water's rare, yet they've ended up by a pool of water right at the time that the eunuch wants to be baptized. This is just another evidence of God's sovereign timing in all of this. Yet this baptism isn't going to save him. But it is evidence of what God has already done in his heart. This is what we see the Apostle Paul say in Romans 9-10. It says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, this is good news, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So baptism isn't what saves the believer, but it is a visible declaration of what God has done in the heart of the believer. Though there's something special that's going on with this baptism. Notice what the eunuch asks in verse 36. He says, what prevents me from being baptized? This is similarly stated a couple chapters later in Acts 10, 47 with the Gentiles in Caesarea. And so what's the significance of this? Well, you might remember me saying earlier that the Ethiopian eunuch couldn't enter the inner courts of the temple because he was a Gentile and a eunuch. Yet in his baptism, we see that he's no longer outside of the people of God. He receives the visible sign of baptism showing that he's part of God's family. He doesn't have to worry anymore about being allowed in the inner courts of the temple because he's a temple of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have to feel the pains of not having a family because he's been brought into God's family forever. And so this isn't some new idea that shows up in this text. All the way back in Isaiah 56, 3 through 5, just a couple of chapters after what we read earlier, it says this, "'Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, "'The Lord will surely separate me from his people.'" And let not the eunuchs say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord. This is coming from God's mouth. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. This interaction in Acts is the fulfillment of what God promised 700 years earlier. God gives eunuchs a monument in his house, in a name that is better than having their own sons and daughters. He brings them into his family forever. And so this has to be why he's rejoicing at the end of verse 39. He who was once far off has now been brought near. And so, brothers and sisters, this has to be the aim of our evangelism. We want to see the nations rejoice. We want to see those who are once far off from God know him and enjoy him forever. So I want you to ask yourself, is this what you desire for your co-workers and classmates? Is this what you desire for your friends and family? Is this what you desire for your neighbor? Is this what you desire for the nations? Beloved, we have been given a great privilege. We get to bring good news that leads to rejoicing. And so don't grow weary in sharing the gospel. Don't numb yourself to the leading of the spirit. He has inspired and preserved the very words of our king in the great commission. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You don't have to wait for the perfect moment. You don't have to wait until you've built enough relational equity. You don't have to wait until you know enough Bible. Step out in faith. Like Philip, open your mouth and give good news. Your God has ordained every conversation in his word will not come back void. You can trust it. And so we see at the end of our text that Philip is carried away by the Spirit. And after seeing this incredible conversion, he continues to preach the gospel up to Caesarea. And so we actually see him one more time in Acts 21. But besides that, he's not mentioned again. And the Ethiopian eunuch isn't mentioned again in the Scripture yet. Church father Irenaeus mentioned that the eunuch actually went back to Ethiopia and became an evangelist. So why do I bring this up? Well, we see in both of these men a glimpse at what God is working towards in human history, that the nations will rejoice in the Lamb. And so listen to this from Revelation 7. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, Amen. So brothers and sisters, one day we'll stand before the throne of the Lamb, praising him forever with a church made up of people from every nation and every tribe. And so again, we ask, what are the chances of this happening? It's certain because God has promised it. Friends, we will see this. And we'll see him. he's going to do this through the proclamation of the gospel by you and me and spirit-empowered saints throughout all history. So trust God and speak good news. Let's pray together.